It was the pop star Sam Smith who ruined my life. It was a few years ago at the Oscars and Sam then identified as a gay man and now identifies as non-binary. And Sam had just won the Oscar for best song. Sam made a really moving, very heartfelt speech about how proud he was to be an out gay person uh, receiving this award. And during their speech, Sam said, that they were probably the first out gay person to win an Oscar. Sam then went backstage to that uh, huge press junket of uh, you know, flashing bulbs and shouting journalists. And Sam was promptly informed that not only was Sam not the first out gay person to win an Oscar, Sam wasn't even the first out gay person to win that category of Oscar. Now, the world being the wonderful place that it is, instantly there was a huge Twitter storm People were attacking Sam, saying how disgusting it was that young LGBTQ plus people don't know their history. And I myself was about to pile on. And then I realized I don't know my own queer history. I'm a relatively, uh, relatively well-educated person. I'm a very privileged white gay cis man with access to all sorts of information. And I hadn't done the work. I didn't know my own queer history. So I, did what any relatively well-educated person would do. And I went online and I searched on Google and there were a lot of resources online, um, but a lot of them were very academic. They were quite ugly websites. They looked like they'd been made by, you know, remember the little paper clip on Microsoft Word, the little clip that would tell you when your uh, grammar and punctuation were wrong. And they were all done in kind of comic sans with purple font. And I thought, wait a minute, LGBTQ plus people are supposed to be the most fabulous, creative, amazing human beings on the planet, if I do say so myself. So we need a website that reflects that. We need a space where we can share our stories that is beautiful in form and function. So I didn't want to, um, but I set about founding the Queer Bible, which is that it's a space for us to celebrate our shared history. So because of Sam Smith, I had to leave behind my very shallow fun life of being a male model guzzling champagne and talking rubbish to celebrities where my only skill was standing still long enough to have a photograph taken of me which isn't really a skill at all and i set about founding the queer bible so what is the queer bible very simply i ask my heroes to write an essay about one of their queer heroes and as daisy said each essay is illustrated by uh, a young lgbtq plus artist um, the word hero always kind of sticks in my throat. It's kind of a saccharine, very limiting concept. I like my icons or the people I look up to to be messy like me. I like them to be flawed human beings. An example of one of the early essays was I tracked down one of Robert Maplethorpe's boyfriends. He had quite a few of them. But one of the most important people in his life was a man called David Crowland. David Crowland wrote an essay for the Queer Bible about, in my mind, I assume he was on acid or something, but I don't think he was. I'm just kind of trying to make it a bit more sexy and rock and roll. But he went to the Chelsea Hotel and he met a young woman called Patty Smith and her then boyfriend, Robert Maplethorpe, and he promptly steals Robert Maplethorpe off Patty Smith. The rest is just kids. The rest is history. If you don't know who Robert Maplethorpe is, you've got this incredibly sexy, brilliant, glamorous rock and roll tale that's going to inspire you to go off and do your own research. And if you do know who Robert Maplethorpe is, 
you're given this secret untold story. I think the main issue with LGBTQ plus history is that there isn't enough of it. I grew up uh, under the Conservatives under Section 28, which, which made it illegal to promote, whatever that means, homosexuality in schools, have the idea of the image of, uh, kind of gays, like, I don't know, promoting homosexuality. I have no idea what that means. But what it did mean for teachers was it meant that they were terrified to talk about homosexuality, about any LGBTQ plus issues. So that's an example in my life of LGBTQ plus histories being erased. For other reasons, uh, throughout history, people have hidden who they are. They've hidden the, the fullness of who they are, of their gender identity or their sexuality for their own protection. I've done that in my own life. I've hidden that I'm gay for my own mental and physical safety. Or we've had times where the fullness of people's identities has been straightwashed from the history books. It hasn't been included in the official histories. So going back to my life, I grew up in Brixton in the 1980s. I was the son, I am still the son <laughs> of a vicar. So I grew up in a small flat attached to a vicarage and everything in my life was beige. We had beige wallpaper, we had beige carpet, um, we had whole wheat pasta, we had a beige Volvo, we had bran flakes for breakfast every day. I remember the first time I saw corn flakes I thought there was something wrong with my brand flakes. So I was quite a dramatic, excitable child and I dreamed of glamour. I dreamed of something more to take me out of my depressing beige life. And one day on the television up popped this Amazonian creature. It was RuPaul performing a song with Elton John. And it was a re-release of the track he did with Kiki D, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. And in the video they played different, it's ridiculous the video, you must YouTube it. They played different uh, kind of lovers from history. And as a child, I didn't realize that Elton John was gay. I thought he was a confirmed bachelor, a ladies man. I assumed that RuPaul was probably one of a long line, a long stream of women that were coming in and out of his life. And I, I didn't even know that RuPaul was a drag queen. I didn't know that it was a man in a dress playing with and challenging gender um, identities. But there was something in them. James Baldwin writes about how LGBTQ plus people know each other before we know. There's something about them. I sensed something in them that was different and magical. And it called me out of my depressing, very Christian, beige childhood. And weirdly, RuPaul kind of sent me, set me on the course to pursue a fashion, uh, a career in fashion. I, like many queer people, are attracted to the shimmery things, to the glamour. I think growing up and being told that you're disgusting, that you're not worth anything, leads us to seek out status-giving armour. I personally was drawn to the world of fashion, of celebrity, of designer clothes, of status-giving jobs. So I decided um, to write my essay in the book on RuPaul. Graham Norton, I know we're not supposed to read extracts, but my book is not my words, it's other people's words. Graham Norton writes beautifully and hilariously um, and very movingly about the isolation that one feels as a young LGBTQ plus person. I never came out. It didn't seem practical. Living in a small town in rural Ireland in the early 80s, there was no context for me to be gay in. So why tell anyone? 
I would just have been gay, watching afternoon TV or riding my bike into town, with no prospect of being gay in the very important boy meets boy scenario. I felt it would have just upset everyone without any real benefit. Instead, I resolved, resolved to go where the boys were. And I did the same thing. A lot of LGBTQ plus people set out into the night to find their tribe. It's a universal experience. We're all looking for our tribe, whether you find it in a drag troupe or you find it in a football team. The Queer Bible Project is uh, about speeding up that process. It's about connecting young and old LGBTQ plus people up to their proud history. I want young people to know that not only are they not alone, but they are descended from some of the most fabulous, incredible human beings on the face of the planet. So once we've found our new chosen family, it's an incredibly empowering thing. We see ourselves finally reflected back in others the incredible activist Monroe Bergdorf writes about the joy of watching the documentary Paris is Burning. It's about the New York drag ball scene. And Monroe writes about how seeing trans people uh, in film leading their own lives, telling their own stories, empowered her to connect to the fullness of her identity. She writes, I saw queer history through a white lens because that's what I had been immediately exposed to. To be able to identify the root and to figure out that I had a direct link to the provenance of so much queer history was extremely empowering for me. It involved me and it allowed me to access a power that took my difference and made it positive, turning it into something that I could always get power from. That's what happens when you realize you connect to those who went before you. They become an immense source of ancestral power that you can draw from whenever you need to. You are not the first to walk this path. Our stories echo each other. Black and brown trans women have trod this ground, clearing a path for you. They are there when you need to call them, stretching back thousands of years. This is the power of connecting to your true family. Stand in that power. So you've found your chosen family, you're on the journey to self-acceptance and self-love, but what then? Uh, the comedian Mae Martin, annoyingly and brilliantly, then in their essay kind of destroys the whole premise of the queer Bible, which is the power of naming yourself and the power of identity. May um, writes this brilliant essay about Tim Curry, who was in uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Tim's the exact queer icon that I love because he is a bit messy, he's a bit problematic. He never openly talked about his sexuality and, and neither did he need to. Um, but May writes about watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show when they were really little, um, really young, when they were about five and it blew their mind. It's probably a bit too young to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And May looks forward to a future beyond the binary, beyond labels, beyond identity politics, where maybe we can be freed from some of the trappings of narrow identity. May writes, when Tim Curry's floating in the pool at the end of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and they're all having a massive orgy, that is what I want from my life. My sexual orientation is being in that pool, getting off with tons of fit people of all genders, that's my sexual orientation. I remember watching Rocky Horror and asking my parents, is he a man or a woman? They said, he's kind of both. I was like, cool. I asked, is he gay or straight? They replied, 
He's both. It just seemed like, oh great, the world is my oyster. That song at the end of Rocky Horror, where he's got blue eyeshadows streaming down his face, singing, I'm going home. And he's channeling this Judy Garland performance, like later Judy Garland. Just iconic. Who needs labels? That tells you everything you need to know. So I would leave you with the question, are there parts of your identity that you're keeping hidden? And alternatively, are there parts of your identity that are limiting you? Are, are there potentially bits of your armor that you can remove? The tagline for the Queer Bible is, we stand on the shoulders of giants. It's time to learn their names. So I'd invite you to connect up to those people who inspire you, who went before you, so you can locate truly who you are now and look forward to the future.